We've all read or heard the scripture, my grace is sufficient for thee. And we've all also struggled a bit at times with receiving grace. How important is it to understand and receive grace as we navigate the end time? We're going to talk about it today on the End Time Show. Welcome back to the End Time Show. Vince Stegall here. I'm so happy that you have decided to join us once again. Today we're talking about grace, but before we get into that, I want to remind you that Understanding the End Time is now available for pre-order. You can go to endtime.com slash ABC and pre-order Understanding the End Time. Today you have three options there. You can get the DVD series. You can get the book, which is available for a donation of any amount, or you can get the DVD series and the book together. So you have three options to choose from at endtime.com slash ABC. You can also call 800-END-TIME, 800-363-8463. When you pre-order today, we're going to throw in over $350 in bonus items uh, with that purchase. Part of that is a VIP video call with Dave Robbins where you're going to talk about the series and give uh, have a chance to ask him questions. So be sure to go to endtime.com slash ABC or call 800-END-TIME today while this pre-order package is available. So, Grace, well, we're honored today to have a repeat guest. You may remember him uh, from when we, back at Christmas time, started talking about Christmas a bit. And frankly, you um, rock some people's world with that conversation. So uh, today we're going to talk about grace and how important it is for us to have it, uh, specifically here as we navigate the end time. And uh, who knows what all we'll get into today because he and I are just sitting down to have a conversation. And grace is obviously a deep topic that there's a lot of people that struggle with the concept. There's a lot of people that struggle with being able to uh, fully receive what that could even be in their life. And so we're going to dissect it a little bit. Uh, Dr. Jim Littles, last time I call you doctor, just so you know, I know that's uh, not on your priority list, but uh, it'll be Jim from here on out. Thank you. (laughs) So... Um, before we get off into this, could you help people know, I know we did this before, but that's been five months ago now, uh, a little bit about you and your background. Uh, most of my life has been spent in a higher education, spent 28 years teaching Bible college and seminary students uh, from both Delaware and Missouri. Before that, I was a public school teacher and a pastor in western New York. Sherry and I have been married 43 years. We have four children and six grandchildren. So so above all, your grandpa. I am a grandpa. <laughs> yeah. My oldest grandson looks down on me since he's about six, three or six, four. Uh, and my youngest granddaughter's three years old. So through pastoring, through teaching, through marriage and parenting, I mean, there's a lot of grace woven in there, right? I would not want to. You've seen people uh, show some kind of stunt and say, don't do this on your own. Well, <laughs> yeah. do not try to live life without grace. Matter of fact, it's, it's actually impossible to live life without grace. Even someone who rejects the idea that there is a God, yeah. grace is still in their lives. And I firmly believe as a believer that that grace is at work calling them back to God. If you were to give, um, I guess, for a lack of better terms, like an elevator pitch, an overview of grace and yeah. what it is, um, 
you know, we only have about four minutes in this first segment, so I know you can't do it as adequately as you would prefer, but elevator pitch on grace, what would you say? I think for me, the beauty is recognizing the way in which God's uh, intent throughout all of Scripture is consistent. We know from Genesis 3, Adam and Eve chose to decide for themselves what was right and wrong. And from that, everything's been broken. So from Genesis 3 all the way to the end of Scripture, it's about God working to restore all things. So it's God's desire and longing to be in relationship with creation. And that because of His holiness, His righteousness, His absolute purity, for Him to be in relationship with us requires a work of grace. So I think maybe a thumbnail definition of grace is God's work towards us. Uh, It's favor. Even when God judges us, Scripture tells us that even when God chastises us, it's out of His love. It's His abundant care to restore us and to make us in His image. And the beauty is we think about the end time as chaotic as our world is today. We can have absolute confidence that He is bringing to pass His purpose and His design, which is all things are going to be new. You talked about uh, chaos, or you mentioned chaos there. Uh, when I think about tough love, you know, I don't like that term mm-hmm. because I look at it and go, this is just love. Like, right. I love you enough. It may be tough to talk about. It may right. be tough to navigate a certain circumstance, but because of my love for you, I'm willing to have uncomfortable conversations, um, do uncomfortable things at times. You know, uh, one one thing I say is uh, when I said I do to Kate, I said I won't to anybody else right. from that day forward. So it's like love does things that maybe we aren't we aren't defaulted to do in our flesh, and so and maybe even the, the tough love. Maybe the toughest part is on the parent, not the child. The parents. This hurts consistent. me more than it's going to hurt you. Staying <laughs> People consistent. People say that. My mom always said that. I went. That is not true. I didn't believe that. But <laughs> but staying consistent in that parenting responsibility. Yeah. And of course, the word dis- disciple mean discipline means to make a disciple. So tough about it means I'm laser focused on this. Nothing is going to pull me off track of forming this child into the disciple that God wants him or her to be. What about other parts of life? Because you know, marriage and friends and... Oh, let's take a young adult trying to decide what major to pursue in college. I believe for a disciple of Christ going through university, it's a missional decision. God, you've gifted me in, in unique ways and my experiences in the past. Some of them, things were imposed on me, my parents. Some of those are my choices along the way. But at this point in time, as I enter university... I can say, Lord, I need your grace to be at work here. You know the best way my life can be used for your purposes and your design. So lather me with your grace every day. And I think if you looked at the end of life of of a retiree or even someone, I I remember three years ago and about a month ago, Vince, my dad passed away. Mm He had been a pastor for all of my life. uh, To sit with him the last six months of his life, and then, then to be there the last several hours was an astounding experience of God's grace. As my dad's wrestling with the questions of, was my life worth anything? And mm. I should have done something here or there. Or 
how do I know that I even made a difference? It's in those moments that in that case, the roles were reversed a little bit. And I helped dad walk through grace one more time. Dad, you, you always taught me God's faithful and God's there. God's faithful and God's here now as well. So looking at those bookends, if you will, of an adult's life, beginning university and at the end, and everywhere in between, lathered with God's grace. Mm-hmm. Well, we're going to get into more of this subject. I know that uh, we're talking about tough love here to wrap it up, but then also uh, sometimes we internalize that and, and be rough on ourselves in this regard. So we'll get to that and much more on the other side of the break. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back after this break. They that understand what is taking place will instruct many. Except a man is born again, he can enter or see the kingdom of God. I don't care what label you've been given or what label you've given yourself. You are essential. You still matter. This is a journey, and when we get to the other side of that, that's where our prize is. That's where our reward is. End time is not going anywhere. Satan and the elites of this world don't want you to understand the timeline leading to the second coming of Jesus. You can pinpoint where we are in the end time. Understand how you fit in and be filled with hope in God's plan by watching the future according to Bible prophecy. Go to intime.com slash future or call 800 intime. That's 800-363-8463. What if you could understand Bible prophecy? Dave Robbins, the host of the End Time Show's TV and radio programs, is holding a free prophecy conference near you. Gain peace and understanding about what the Bible says concerning end time prophecy. Call 1 800 End Time or go to endtime.com slash events to see when Dave will be in a location near you. Welcome back to the End Time Show. Vince Stegall here with. Dr. Jim Riddles. I said that was the first time, but that would be the last time. But new intro. Some of you are joining for the first time. I had to say it one last time to kind of poke at him. He doesn't like me saying that, but because he's just Jim to me. We're friends. Uh, we've been to his, uh, they've been to our house. We've been to their house kind of thing. So we're friends, and he doesn't want me calling him Dr. Riddles. So it's, it's going to be Jim from here on out this time, I promise. Um, so we're so happy to have Jim Littles with us here today. We're talking about grace in the end time, and uh, I know that people's perspective of grace and not only sometimes we struggle with giving it, sometimes we struggle with receiving grace. And so we're going to dissect that a little bit more and how important it is for us to have that. Um, I do want to mention that I feel like this topic is not discussed enough, um, at least not discussed clearly enough to where we fully comprehend it. 
And so I think that you should pause this video and hit the share button. Make sure that your friends and family see what we're discussing today. I think it'll bless them tremendously. So hit the share button, hit the heart icon. And in fact, if you're with us today uh, and you're paying attention, get in the comment section and type the word grace. That's all you need to put and hit enter. Post that comment, Grace. Let us know that you're following along with us. And don't forget to share. All right, Jim, we were talking about tough love a little bit. We talked about a number of different things, but I wanted to get into specifically how, well, uh, quickly, I grew up playing sports, and I really felt like I thrived on the, my, my, my coach was a, a former military man, and so he was very buttoned up. Uh, which I know you're familiar with. Um, and so I felt like I thrived on like Sarge type treatment. And, and I, I don't know, I still feel like I could use some of it, to be honest with you. <laughs> but I internalized that a bit and I can be hard on myself, perhaps sometimes in a negative way. And it seems like being around for as long as I've been around, which is not that long, but long enough to gather not only for myself, but for others as well, Sometimes we're hard on ourselves. We, we give ourselves this tough love in a negative way. I mean, it may not even really be love, but, and then great, you know, I know all the things I've done. I know where I'm from. I know all this stuff, and there's no way I could, there's not, there's not enough grace for me. Right. How, how, do we, how do we handle that? Now, sometimes we can see grace easier in someone else's life than we can towards ourselves. I think uh, grasping the language of God being our Heavenly Father is a good place to begin. Uh, And our love and care for our children uh, is just a small element of understanding what that means. So as we recognize God's grace for us, and once we've said yes to the invite to relationship, we call that responding by faith. Abraham's justified by faith, we know from Revelation, excuse me, Romans, as well as other passages in Scripture, and so are we. So when we say yes to God's invite and we follow Christ uh, in this journey, which will include baptism and other things, but each of those steps, He is the one that's doing the work and not us. You use the metaphors of sports and uh, military, and Paul uses these same metaphors as well. Let's not run like one beating the air. He saw a picture of me when he was making that description. (laughs) And as a uh, soldier, we're not carrying extra weights. We're laying away aside everything that would hinder us. But those metaphors have to be used in the right uh, relationship. Military, there are people who are disqualified for health reasons. I had to get a, a waiver because I had bad hearing in the and they finally said, okay, you want to be a chaplain, your hearing isn't quite that critical. So they gave me a waiver for it. In athletics, only a certain amount of te- people can make the team and then continue to rise to the ranks. The beauty that we have today, Vince, is that it's not his will that any of us perish mm. and that his grace is available to all. And similar to Jesus saying the greatest commandments is love God with everything and then love your neighbor as yourself. Until we can experience more and more fully that the ways in which God has loved us, has graced us, we're not going to be able to grace others. So when I notice myself being angry towards others, I need to say, Lord, remind me of how gracious you have been towards me so that that grace can flow through me. I can become a pipeline. In some ways, I become a conduit or I almost become sacramental. God has graced me 
and a condition that I can now grace someone else. And becoming that pipeline of God's grace transforms us. I believe it's complete as we become uh, a follower of His, going through uh, transition from being our old nature to our new nature. It's already complete. We're already His son and daughter. We're already deeply graced. But then we grow and mature in that grace. And I think we need to hold on to both of those realities. I am fully graced today. I'm absolute confident that I am His son right now. Mm. But I'm also maturing and growing in grace. And I know that what my spiritual growth point is to make sure I stay maturing and growing as opposed to stagnating. Uh, he does not like it uh, when we stagnate. We can see that in the book of Hebrews. Uh, you ought to be teachers. And man, oh man, what to keep relaying the foundation. He's still gracious mm-hmm. and he cares for me even when I stagnate. But oh, when I, if I want to give him my deepest of joy, I learn to walk in grace, mature in grace, so that he gets glorified through every aspect of my life. Hmm. That's a lot to take in. There's a lot more to talk about. Uh, There is indeed. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You answered this in the first segment, but you've got a little bit more time here. What is grace? When we're thinking about the gulf, if someone thinks perhaps of the Grand Canyon or, or imagining building a bridge from New York City all the way to Paris, France, what would that be like to have a bridge like that? The engineering feat of getting a channel, getting a an underwater uh, uh, roadbed for the trains, mm-hmm. you know, how fantastic of an engineering feat that was. Even the greater dimension is the feat of getting from God's holiness to our sinful place. And that ultimately is done in the work of Christ. So grace is God's favor towards humanity. Nothing I can do to earn it. Okay, I can't, I can't climb up a hill on my knees on broken glass. I was tragically at a uh, kind of church edifice several years ago, which went up, I don't know how many hundreds of steps to get to street level to this building up on the hill. There were three segments to the stairs, and my guide taking me said, don't walk up the middle section. You can walk up the left or the right. That middle section is for people who are going to crawl up on their knees to get there, to demonstrate their a quest after God and to somehow get God's attention. The beauty right now for all of our listeners, Vince, is that you don't have to work to get God's attention. Hmm. He is wondrously near us. So grace is that attention that we have from God, that care from God, and He is laser-focused on restoring all things into Himself. And I believe that, that all of those are aspects of that grace, the building of the bridge, the helping me recognize my sinful behavior when it's sinful, that's an act of grace. I, I, when I do something that's displeasing to him, when he lets me know in the Spirit or in a conversation with someone else or through reading the Word, that's an act of grace. And then receiving my repentant prayer, that's an act of grace. And in response to that, I think this is what you were alluding to earlier, when I have repented and then he, I am promised in his Word that I'm forgiven. I don't have to feel forgiven. I know I'm forgiven. Because sometimes we as Christians, we say, well, I don't feel God. Uh, That didn't make him go away. (laughs) (laughs) It's not like your parents spraying hairspray under your bed to get rid of that ghost. And they they put a wrapper around the hairspray, says uh, ghost spray, spray, and spray it under your bed. And now you can go to sleep because I sprayed away all the ghosts. Just because you don't feel God 
that doesn't make him disappear. That doesn't change his opinion or care for you. When I don't feel him, I can trust his word. I can trust walking with his people. I can trust commitment to following Christ. So when I have failed and I repent, he is faithful and just to forgive me of my sins because I have one advocate with the Father, the man Christ Jesus. You mentioned not feeling God. And I look at people like you, and I know you personally, so I still look at you this way, just so you know. Um, I look at people like you and go, they've always felt God. It's like you have all this knowledge, you have all this experience, you have a very mature walk with the Lord. So even though I know that you go through times where it's, it's a challenge, I would think that you can somehow get past all those obstacles that come into your mind and say, no, I know God's here. So I guess setting up my next question, have you ever felt like you couldn't feel God? In the literature, that's called a dark night of the soul. It's moments when someone who has known him and experienced him personally and as well as collectively with God's people, they may go through seasons, and I have been there uh, several times. Seasons, uh, one time, you know, it was uh, pushing a year mm. where I would walk faithfully, I would do the right things, but I'm doing so in a response to God's grace. Faith says He's here. Faith says He loves me. And the fact that I can't feel anything calls me to faith one more time because mm. faith doesn't see. Faith doesn't feel. Faith doesn't hear. Faith says yes to God's offer. If I could always feel God, I would really question if faith was necessary anymore. And that's the challenge of Galatians, trying to get to the place where I don't need grace and I don't need to respond in faith. I can somehow earn my status with God with my good behaviors. So I think sometimes those dark places are actually also gracious gifts. Because mm-hmm. it teaches us to... Just rest in Him in those moments. Now, I think, I'm not a believer in fake it till you make it. I'm not a believer in jump up and down, and if you worship hard enough, eventually you'll break through. I don't believe the prophets of Baal had the right answer. I don't know that Elijah felt anything when he stood up. He just knew it was right. Idolatry is always wrong, not because God said it was wrong, but it was wrong because it violated what God had formed us to be and to do. So when we think about grace and we think about law, we have to be careful that we don't start seeing what God's calling us away from as just capricious, uh, uh, just uh, God's just, well, this is good, this is bad, this is good, this is bad. He formed us and made us, and therefore He knows what's best for us. So if I'm making the right choices in light of His Word, in light of His Spirit, oftentimes I feel delighted. In him. I remember one time in worship just a couple of months ago, uh, in the middle of a worship service, all of a sudden for about 10 or 15 seconds, I can't really explain it fully, but there was this sensation that it is all finished. That in that 10 or 15 seconds of feeling, there was no more sin in the whole world. All was absolute complete. I believe that God, uh, in that moment of worship, let me feel dimension of glory more than I had ever felt mm. before. I haven't felt it since then either. But there, in that moment, I, I sensed it is all finished. And it was an, a, a wow. It was truly a wow moment. Since then, there have been moments when I haven't felt him, but I still know he is. 
Are you willing to expound a little bit more on that time? You said it was about a year long of just kind of what you were going through. And yeah. I know people can relate with, and it may be the story that I'm thinking about. Maybe it's not, but um, just curious kind of how you navigated whatever that was that you were referencing. Uh, uh, I believe what we do in those moments when it seems like he's distant, uh, and I have taught my students before, uh, as well as when I've preached, let folks know you don't have to ask God to speak to you. Uh, He is always looking for people with ears to hear and eyes to see. He is speaking, but in those quiet moments when it seems like he is not there, it forces me to slow down. I think maybe that's the best response is slow down, continue in worship because he is good. He's always been good. He's been so good to me so far in my life. I've already felt enough to worship him the rest of my days. Uh, so the slowing down of, of life, taking steps day by day, moment by moment, and recognizing that this moment brings glory to God whether I feel him or not. And in some ways, I think that gives him even greater glory because walking faithful. Uh, I, for me, the Mary and her friends preparing on Saturday to go to anoint Jesus on Sunday is what I'm talking about. Uh, they think he's gone. Here their hopes and their dreams are dashed, they're shattered. And frequently dark nights of the soul is when you've had a crash dream. I've written in my book, More Like Him, one of the most painful things in the world is stepping on the shards of broken dreams. It cuts through every combat boot known to man. It will eat into you. But in those moments, Mary and her friends, they did what they always did. They prepared to worship. Mm -hmm. So they got together some more herbs and ground them through the night. And when the sun came up in the morning, they went to worship him one more time. So if any of our listeners today are going through a dark night, just know the gracious God is there. He is with you, enveloping you. You don't need to feel him. Just know that he is there and prepare to worship. Lord, my life today, as I care for my children, as I go to work, as I go to university, as I uh, visit an elder in a nursing home, I do this out of faith that I'm doing your will and your purposes for my life. You referenced your book there, just so we can get a plug in. Where can someone go to order that book, uh, as they the, should. The Kindle version, of course, is available in the place where you get toilet paper and truck tires. Uh, Amazon, Amazon, you can go there and get it. Uh, more like um, uh, uh, 2019 is when it was published. You want a hard copy, you can go to Pentecostal Publishing House. And more like him, and is it Jim or James Little? James Little's Jr. Yeah. James Little's Jr. So yeah. be sure to go to Amazon right now and look up more like him. Uh, how much is it? That would be $16 well spent. Um, It's not like a normal book, though. He he asked you to have some action items and do do some reflection. And so uh, it's it's quite good, and I think everyone should go order it right now. More Like Him on Amazon by James Littles Jr. We'll get into more about grace on the other side of the break, so don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. symbols and prophecies within the book of Revelation have perplexed Christians and unbelievers around the world. In his final work, Revelation, The Unveiling of Jesus Christ Part 2, 
The late Irvin Baxter unlocks the mystery of the book of Revelation with in-depth analysis and commentary like you've never heard before. These comprehensive study tools, available for $299, will deepen your biblical understanding. Don't miss this special offer. Call 1-800-END-TIME or go to endtime.com. Hi, I'm Judy Baxter. When Irvin and I got married, we didn't realize that our calling would be a prophetic ministry. Since we started End Time Ministries, there have been many times we weren't sure how we would pay the bills, but God has always provided. We started with the magazine, then went on radio and TV, and now we have the Jerusalem Prophecy College in Israel and online with End Time Plus. The mission has always been to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ and the End Time message. Through the years, my husband would say, we will see revival like never before in the last days. We are living in the end time now. Thank you for walking this journey with us and continuing in prayer. You are a part of the team. Thank you for your generous support. It is necessary for God's purpose. The most important thing is that you are ready when the Lord comes. Our hope is to help prepare you for that day. God bless you and we love you. Welcome back to the End Time Show. Vince Stegall here with Jim Littles. We're talking about grace in the end time, grace in general as well. So uh, we've we've barely covered what we had outlined here to discuss because one thing has led to another. Um, this topic of grace is so important. Um, I believe that everyone uh, would do well to listen to this and to pray about it and to ask the Lord. Now, you mentioned how people pray earlier. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but one thing I pray is not necessarily that God would talk to me, but that He would open my ears, open my my spirit to help receive what right. He is saying, because He is talking. Of course, we have His Word, which, you know, a lot of times it seems like we want to hear some audible voice or have someone come up and give us a word from the Lord, and we never open the book, to, or we rarely do. So, uh, He is speaking, that is for sure. So I ask God, you know, open my ears. And that's what I would suggest that you do as well as we talk about grace and how it applies to our life in different circumstances. And uh, just ask the Lord to open your ears, open your spirit to receive what He is saying through this conversation, through this word, through His word that we're about to read here. And uh, who knows what the Lord might do in your life. And so share this video, make sure that it gets to your friends and family. And again, comment grace if you're following along here with us. Um, the word grace in the comment section is all you need to do there and hit the share and heart icon. Now, Jim, we've talked about what grace is. We've talked about a whole slew of things. Um, Exodus 34, 5 through 10, we're going to read that. Also, John 1, 14 through 17 eventually. Um, so I guess I'll just start with reading that and then we can talk. You can stop me at any time. That's how I prefer to do it. One uh, of the big reasons I would love you to read this passage is because it helps illustrate that God has been at work throughout all of Scripture. It's not something that he's got holding in reserve unit until Jesus comes and then throw grace into the story. So this passage so powerfully exposes the dimension that God graciously cared for his people in Exodus. Exodus 34, starting in verse 5, And the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed the Lord the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, 
forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and that will be that will by no means clear the guilty visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children unto the third and to the fourth generation. And Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. And he said, If now I have found grace in thy sight, O Lord, let my Lord, I pray thee, go among us, for it is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us for thine inheritance. And he said, Behold, I make a covenant. Before all thy people I will do marvels, such as have not been done in all the earth, nor in any nation, and all the people among which thou art shall see the work of the Lord, for it is a terrible thing that I will do with thee. You're reading this passage, uh, the twin responses of one is, I'm dancing on the inside. There's a, <laughs> there's a little Fred Astaire going wild inside of me. Uh, but then I would the, love to see that demonstrated on the like? outside. <laughs> <laughs> I've tried the, to get Doug to dance, and he won't do it. He won't do it. Yeah. So Free to, just can't do it. I have a feeling that this is going to be true with you as well. <laughs> so on the one hand, I'm, ex- I'm exhilarated by the passage, but on the other hand, I am awed. I'm awed in wonder of God's gracious care. From my perspective, Vince, this chapter, this chapter is equivalent to Adam and Eve's fall. Adam and Eve chose their own path. This chapter is a consequence of the golden calf. And your listeners probably are familiar. Uh, Moses had been on the mountain for 40 days getting details of the law. The oral giving of the Ten Commandments, we call that the Decalogue, ten, the ten words. The oral giving of the ten words had already happened. Everyone had heard it. Don't make a graven image. There's only one. Okay, Those things had already been given. Moses has gone for 40 days. Because of their weak attachment to Yahweh, they said, we've got to have something visible. Our grace is going to suffer. Our response to grace is going to be suffering when we, we have a weak attachment to God. So it's a quest to respond yes to God's offer for grace. In this passage, it, uh, Moses is asking to see God's glory. And I don't know what you think of or have thought of through the years. What would it look like to see God's glory? I think of bright. I, that's it's it. like, whoa. You know, like, yeah. if I had hair, it would be standing on its end. The, the <laughs> ultimate uh, 4th of July fireworks yeah. display times a factor of whatever. Yeah. That would be God's glory. No, no, no. Moses says, I want to see God's glory. And God says, I'll show it to you. And that's where this passage comes up. Mm-hmm. He asked for glory. He saw grace. So no matter what your greatest desire to see from God, the ultimate of that is going to be His gracious actions towards us, His people. And here God reveals Himself names himself. I am the Lord. I am the Lord. Moses didn't name him. Gracious God named himself. And then he ascribes three terms for grace to himself towards the people. Uh, and again, I'm, Dan, I'm Fred Astaire on the inside. Maybe a little Gene Kelly swinging around a light pole in the rain. Uh, while also, also there's a piece of me that bows there's a piece of me where my knees hit the floor. Perhaps even lay flat on the floor as I've done several times in worship because God, how, how in the world could you be that gracious towards me? I've never made a golden calf. I've, I've never offered an animal to an idol. But I've coveted somebody else's gifts. And Paul tells me that that's idolatry. 
And yet, he says, Jim, I'm merciful. Jim, I'm long-suffering. I know it's taken you a while to get over this or through this or learn this, but if you think I'm going to throw you away because you have failed in a moment, then you don't understand me. So Mm. just hear my name one more time. My name is Jesus. My name is Jesus. I am the Savior that has come to you. I'm long-suffering, and I'm abundant in goodness and truth. Jesus taught us in Matthew chapter 6 that we shouldn't, we shouldn't murder. And I think that's a pretty good rule. I think I everybody kind of agree with that one. Yeah. Then he goes on to say, and don't call anybody a fool. It's amazing to me how another passage there, you've heard a set of old, don't commit adultery. I tell you, don't even think about it. Now, we quote that one often to our young men, particularly, and to new converts coming in. Don't, don't Make sure you don't even have this thought in your heart. But I don't hear many people talking about get those foolish thoughts of foolishness of others. Get that out of your heart. What we're talking about today is not just I shouldn't call my neighbor a fool because that's spiritual murder. I should not look at myself and say I am unworthy of him. I'm a third class Christian. If I can just barely be saved, that's enough. That's calling yourself a fool or worth less. And who the Son has set free is free indeed. And, and in that uh, Acts 10 vision uh, that, that uh, Apostle Peter had, what I call clean, don't you dare call unclean. When I read this passage, I dance and I weep and worship at the same time. You're, you've given me so many bunny trails to walk down. <laughs> <laughs> the first one, and hopefully I remember the others. The first one is... Calling your neighbor a fool, what did you say? Is, is is spiritual murder. Now, unpack that a little because yeah. it's easy for me to call my neighbor names. The fool there in the in Jesus' use of that the, the term there in the Greek means calling calling someone else worthless. So if I see anybody as worthless than me or worthless than someone else. Uh, I happen to have a few graduate degrees. One of them is a Ph.D. But if that makes me think I am superior to someone else, conversely to that, I am viewing them as a fool, as worth less than me, that's a spiritual murder. Now, the stigma of how people with Ph.D.s typically think doesn't really line up with that, just so you, if you're not aware... Well, for me, a Ph.D. is equal to my dad's circular saw. It's a tool that I had to have. It costs more than the circular saw, and I couldn't just order one over the phone. Well, I guess you can yeah. order a phone, <laughs> yeah. Ph.D., but I, I couldn't order one over the phone, but it was, it's a tool. I believe that as disciples, now some of the folks listening to you today, Vince, they've just been a disciple of Jesus maybe a week. Mm-hmm. Now all the tools that they bring to that relationship with him, when they were baptized, all those tools were baptized in his name and now become kingdom assets. Mm. For me, I grew up in the church. My daddy was a pastor, as I mentioned earlier. So every tool that I've grown along the way, this is an act of grace that I have it, and I want to use it graciously towards others. So my Ph.D. doesn't make me better. Uh, if we had more time, I could tell a funny story in there, but uh, we'll, we'll skip through that. I mean, I don't know how much time you need, but I, I'm happy to make it. <laughs> I... I didn't graduate from school until I was 42. That's how slow I am. You know, you I'm go. really, I'm very, very slow. Uh, so as I was, I finished all my doctoral uh, courses. I had 120 some odd graduate hours before I started my PhD program, and, and add all those uh, graduate hours to it. And 
did all of this research and taking all of these exams at the end. It, it's it's not a particularly fun time. As I'm about to finish, I had this nightmare that as soon as I finish and as soon as all the professors say, yes, you're Dr. Little, you join the club now, I'll step outside so elated I won't pay attention, I'll get mowed over by a truck. Uh, and then all of a sudden, my life will be finished. But the Lord used that uh, that silly nightmare as a wake-up call. Jim, you were so valuable to me when you were in kindergarten, junior high student, beginning years ago. You're no more valuable to me now than you were then. And you're no more valuable than the person next to you that's preliterate. So the, the beauty of grace that allows me, I think grace is connected to humility, and that it's having a right uh, understanding of ourselves and relationships to others. So, yeah, my Ph.D. doesn't make me better. He made me better. Mm. Uh, uh, being faithful to Sherry for these 43 years, as you mentioned, faithfulness to your wife. Being faithful to 43 years didn't make me better. He makes me better. And because of that, I can be faithful to her and be a faithful friend and a faithful dad and grandpa. And, and uh, I hope even in these end times, I can be a faithful American, even though my key citizenship is in the kingdom of heaven, not mm-hmm. in America. But hopefully I can even be a faithful American in a world that has gone in so many swirls of chaos. So instead of getting angry at the chaos... I can walk in grace and say, God, I know you love that, 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 uh, fill in the blank of whatever those chaos. That Democrat, that Republican, that whatever. That whatever, that Bernie Madoff type that's ripped off others, you know, whatever type it is. Yeah, and and to call them a fool, like you said, it's spiritual spiritual murder. murder. And so I'm going, that person isn't as worth much to God. Right. As I am, as I when am. I do that, yep. Yep. and of course, or if I look in the mirror and say I'm not valuable in the kingdom at all, I'll just ascend, attend church or view church online. I'm not going to make any difference in the kingdom, whether I'm live or not. Doesn't that's spiritual suicide? Because mm. it's saying God's giftings in my life are not worth being displayed in the world. The second bunny trail <laughs> was you said Yahweh in there and we have less than a minute so I'm not going to ask you to dive off into that one because we don't have time but perhaps on the other side of the break not only can we talk about that but this children's children thing that we read about that's the to me is a something that jumped out and I'll explain why we don't have time like I said on this side of the break so stick around we'll get into why why in the world would he say Yahweh in there with all those other words and then also what else can we discuss around grace it's limitless so don't go anywhere you don't know what you'll miss we'll be right back after the break i've been part of the end time family from the beginning over 30 years ago when my parents Irvin and judy baxter began ministry from the recliner in our living room my name is Jana robbins i have the pleasure of connecting with our incredible partners every day 
Endtime is a small nonprofit that runs a high-traffic website, a daily TV and radio show, the Prophecy College in Jerusalem, and more. Although we have less than 30 team members, we are able to serve tens of millions of people each month. We survive on the goodness of God and donations averaging about $50. If everyone hearing this message gave $22, our financial needs would be met for the year. If you only give to one cause per month, please consider partnering with Endtime to help get the message of our soon-coming King out to the world. Call us at 1-800-END-TIME to give today or go to endtime.com to become a monthly or one-time partner. Welcome back to the End Time Show. Vince Stegall here with Jim Littles. We're talking about grace in the end time. Gone over a lot of different things today. Very beneficial conversation, I would believe, for everyone out there. Uh, before we move on with this conversation, I want to remind you once again, not only is Understand the End Time available for pre-order at endtime.com slash ABC, but we're also streaming each of these videos on End Time Plus. So you can go to endtime.com slash new. If you're already a subscriber there, it's totally free for you. If you're not, there's a free trial option, so you could start your free trial today and binge watch all of them for free. I think there are four or five available now. They release every week on Sunday, so go to endtime.com slash new to start streaming them today. All right, we talked about a lot of stuff with grace, but this has nothing to do with grace. I don't think so. You might have a way of tying it back in, but you mentioned Yahweh when you were... Actually, that is the cornerstone of what we know <laughs> okay. of as grace. Okay, so... <laughs> Why in the world would you say Yahweh? So in chapter 34, verse number 5, we have God introducing himself, the Lord descended. That When you see capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. All caps, I see that a lot in the Old Testament. All those caps, that is the covenant name of God. What does that mean? It is God's quest to be in an intimate relationship with his people. Genesis chapter 12, God called Abram out of Ur of Chaldees. Between 12, 15, and 17, God's creating a covenant with Abraham. I'm going to bless you, and through you, all the nations are going to be blessed. So God's gracious care for Abraham, and then later with his families, we see here in Genesis, Exodus 34, is resting on that covenant promise from God. I am going to be, I am going to be your God, and you'll be my children. So throughout the Old Testament, when people are talking about God, they'll say the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Building that foundation of relationship uh, on which we experience God's grace. The reason you and I can sit here today with His Word in our lap and in our heart and be a part of a worshiping community is because God's gracious relationship with us is based on covenant. In the Old Testament, the uh, call of Abraham, the Abrahamic covenant, and it elucidated more completely at Mount Sinai, which I believe is the ultimate place of revelation in the Old Testament. And then for us, that new covenant, which is in Christ, I just blessed to have the Lord's Supper on Sunday with the church that I was visiting in Washington, excuse me, Wisconsin, and remembering one more time that the cup, according to Luke 22, is the cup of the new covenant blood, the blood of the new covenant. Our grace is because of that covenantal relationship that's with us. So when we see uh, capital L-O-R-D, it's because Israel felt like, uh, the Jews felt like his name was so holy. 
uh, that they couldn't pronounce it. So they would use other words to stand in for it. A, a very devout Jew today even will not even write out God, G-O-D. They'll put G-D because they want to be careful of not blaspheming. We really don't know how to pronounce God's covenant name. It's called a tetragrammaton. We know the four consonants. We don't know the vowels. Some people say Jehovah. I think Yahweh is probably a little bit closer. But it is that covenant name for God. Sadly, the Jews felt God was so holy, we're going to have to step back from his name. I, I'm, ask, I'm begging, I'm interceding with your listeners today. Let grace wash over you. I know he's holy, and I know that we're unworthy. But let that grace wash over us. Call on his name, Jesus. They should have continued to call the name Yahweh. Don't, mis- don't misuse the name. Don't trash the name. But when you call on that name, when they called on Yahweh, Yahweh had uh, introduced himself. And then we see in verse number 6, he, he doubles down. The Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, Yahweh, Yahweh God. It's me. <laughs> I, I don't know anybody. Watch Tarzan cartoons when they were kids. I would didn't have a tube in our house, but we'd go to a cousin's house or something. Tarzan beating on his chest. I almost see God say, hey, it's me. Covenant God, covenant God. And if I'm going to define myself to you, I'm going to have to use the word mercy. Because without mercy, my holiness would destroy you. Mm. So when we call in the name Jesus, the, the very Son of God sent into the world to bring life to us so that we could have birth again of water and of spirit, so we could see the kingdom and walk in the kingdom, When we call on the name of Jesus, we're inviting God's grace into our lives. And of course, the only appropriate response to grace is yes. Okay, well that that leads us right into the the last bunny trail that I'll cover for that particular passage. He talks about um, the iniquity of the fathers upon the children, upon the children's children, unto the third and to the fourth generation. Now I know this isn't talking about generational curses necessarily, but... You know, I grew up hearing about generational curses. And while I have wonderful parents, they have made mistakes in their life. And as we've covered on this show enough, I don't need to get back into it. I come from a a kind of a big mistake. And I wouldn't be here on this earth Mm -hmm. if my parents didn't make a big mistake. (laughs) Um, And so there's things that they participated in in their lives as I was growing up and before I was ever born and I had this idea that there's a generational curse and that I was subject to do all the same things right. and maybe even worse that they've done. And somewhere along the lines, the Lord helped me with that. And um, my path has been a bit different. You know, we're, we're all serving the Lord and I'm thankful for that at this point. Um, but, you know, I, I've certainly had plenty of sin in my life but our paths have been different. And so I struggle with that for a long time, that I'm bound to do right. similar things that they did. And that simply wasn't true. So uh, I guess, are you willing to expound on that at all? Generational curses and how grace comes into all that and whatever sure. else you want to cover? Sure. Uh, part of the uh, gift of being in a Western culture is the value of the individual. So when we think of those kinds of things, we think of it on the individual level. The biblical world was written in a collectivist society, a society where your identity wasn't in you, 
Jerry's identity. Uh, uh, two scholars put it this way, it was gender, genealogy, and geography. If you knew someone's gender, knew their genealogy, and you knew where they lived, you knew their identity. Those were the core elements of your identity, is identity of a group. We see uh, the value of both, I think, in Scripture. God loves individuals, but there's also the sense of which we walk collectively. In this specific case where this text is given, uh, Israel's sin with idolatry would have rippling effects for generations. And even in the exile, they're kicked out of the promised land because of idolatry. So when I sin, although that doesn't force God's hand and bring in a generational curse to someone else, walking in a walk of sin gives an example of walking in sin for others and opens those doors. Now later in the major prophets, he's going to say, no longer is the proverb true when the father eats a grape's uh, son's teeth are set on edge. So it says there's going to, I'm starting to break those kinds of things. But there's a reality that when we sin, it harms those that follow. The opposite reality is also true. When we receive grace, generations follow. And if I could use an example from the book of Judges. There's a refrain in the second half of the book of Judges. Everyone did right which was, that which was right in their own eyes. But if you skip from Judges into the very next book, the book of Ruth and Naomi and Boaz. Boaz is living in the exact same time. He is not what's doing, everybody else is doing. Just because everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes and following sinful path, there were still righteous people. So some of our listeners today living in this end time age and perhaps family members and perhaps their schoolmates and others and our country, I'm worried about moral choices that it's making. Just because everyone's doing the right, it's what's right in their own eyes doesn't mean I have to. I can stand in a pipeline of grace. There might be a young person watching today and say, you know, Vince, Jim, uh, I'm, in a little, I'm in a tough spot. I, I can't live for God here. There's too much alcohol or drugs going on or all kinds of immoral behavior. What am I going to do? I'll tell you what you do. Call on the name of Jesus. Mm. Because in His name, grace is available to sustain and to keep you. So yes, our sins of one can touch others. However, you can start the opposite. You can start walking by grace. Boaz, the end of the book of Ruth, you find a genealogy there. Uh, Boaz beget Obed. Obed beget Jesse. Jesse beget David. You mean it's worth reading the begets? That's a trail I could take you down as well. I know, which we don't have time for, unfortunately. Um, I want to get into this next passage of Scripture, John chapter 1, because we are running out of time, and I know we want to cover this before we wrap it up. But starting in verse 14, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bare witness of him and cried, saying, This was he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness have all we received, and grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth come by Jesus Christ. This passage is another one that sets you dancing and weeping at the exact same time. 
uh, several key points that I find here, Vince. One is this verse 17. Sometimes folks can read that and say, we live in a dispensation of grace. Moses under law, there was no grace. That's why I think that Exodus passage is so critical. To help people realize anytime God is speaking to humanity, grace is at work. Every single time. Even Jonah talking to the people of Nineveh, judgment is coming in 40 days. The king says, what kind of God gives you a 40-day warning except for a gracious God? Uh, So, yes, grace was, the law was a gracious gift. The difference, I tell folks, is in the verbs. Grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Grace wasn't sent as a word. It wasn't written on tablets of stone to be placed in a golden chest. Instead, grace dwelled among us, walked among us, and was tempted on all points like we are. Uh, And you also see in that passage is grace and truth. They are together. They are together. Tragically, some people want to separate grace from truth, grace from God's uh, preferences, God's holiness, God's goodness. Uh, If you you want to know grace, you've got to know truth as well. I think this would also be a good point to state that we're not talking just some kind of theological construct here. We're not talking about stuff to just screw into your head and say, well, I know what grace is. Grace transforms the heart. Mm. Grace transforms the spiritual uh, maturity. Grace and all of that is going to transform my behaviors. Some of your listeners today are having trouble hearing here because of walls they've erected here. Uh, Perhaps because of distrust. How can I trust God's grace? Because I've been shamed so many times. Eric Erickson in his exposition of human development, he calls it uh, psychosocial development, the beginning of life, uh, first couple of years is trust versus mistrust. He says so many times children don't learn how to trust their parents. And because of that, they live in a world of distrust. Because of a broken world, many of your listeners have not learned to trust others, consequently can't trust God. So as you're looking at John chapter 1, recognize grace and truth is here right now. We can all experience that grace and truth. Whom the Son has set free is free indeed. Mm. Free in our mind, free in our emotions and spirit, and free in our behaviors. Well, we didn't cover nearly as much as we'd hoped to, but we covered what we're supposed to, I do believe. Maybe we just need to do a whole series on End Time Plus for this, but stay tuned for more of that. Uh, We'll be right back here tomorrow at 3 p.m. Central Time. Don't forget to go to endtime.com and watch.endtime.com to uh, get thousands of hours of content made totally available for free by our generous partners. If you'd like to partner with us, go to endtime.com slash give, and you can sign up there to be a one-time partner or to give every single month. We greatly appreciate it. It helps make this show available for absolutely free. We'll be right back here again tomorrow at 3 p.m. We will see you then.